0: Morning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I don't even know where we are anymore.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're gathered here today to talk about a cultural flashpoint from the year 2009. Taking its place amongst movies like, oh, I don't know, The Road and Zombieland and Public Enemies. And Are you just naming movies that came out in 2009? The Hangover, Inglorious <laughs> Bastards, Up, The Blind Side, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. That's a good movie. The Men Who Stare at Goats. Yeah, 2009 was a wild year, man. Fantastic yeah, Mr. These, Fox, Watchmen. Most of,
1: these, most of these movies you're naming are pretty good. Man, Moon? So good. Moon's great.
0: A Single so, Man. The,
1: the, the, a Single Man's awesome. That's like one of the, the most underrated Coen Brothers movies. Oh, wait, no. I'm thinking of a different I'm thinking of A Serious Man. <laughs> a Single Man's that Colin Firth movie. Never saw it.
0: That problem was extremely prevalent when those movies came out as well. But
1: wait, did did Terminator span...
0: Salvation the Lovely Bones? Come on now.
1: We're talking about gentlemen Broncos on the Trash Heap Podcast. The show where we're out to prove there are no garbage movies, just garbage opinions. Yeah, I'm we're Ill- giving to...
0: these discarded gems a second chance.
1: Yeah, and that's Keith. Keith, you chose this movie uh for the for the show. I I'd never seen it before. Had you seen it before?
0: Uh yeah, several times.
1: Several times. Okay.
0: Yeah, I was so this movie is from writer director author tall guy with thick glasses, Jared Hess, right? The guy uh, yes. responsible for Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre. Uh-huh. Two movies that I don't particularly find funny anymore. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I remember the trailer came out for this movie and I thought it looked so cool because it rode the line between uh, reality and science fiction, right? Jumping back and forth between the real world and some kind of a fantasy world. And I couldn't wait to see it. It looked ridiculous.
1: And then you see it in the theater? I did not. Oh, So I guess you could wait then, huh?
0: Yeah, I wasn't uh too hot on going to the movies. Back then I was more about uh waiting for the DVD.
1: Yeah, just watching it in the isolation and darkness of your basement.
0: Yeah, I just tried to save money by not going to the movies, which were yeah, not nearly as expensive as they are now.
1: I mean, well, yeah, they're pricey, but is it just like but what, you, what about when you adjust for inflation? I don't know. Same? I'm not don't yeah. ask
0: me to do any math. We're talking about moving pictures on the glowing that's box, right. not uh, anyway, we, equations. Yeah, we, there, Einstein. This movie.
1: This this is the first time for me. You know, I was about 50-50 on this movie.
0: I'd say that's about right in the 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 ballpark there, as far as like what's good and what's bad. <laughs> it's about well, 50/50. wait a minute though.
1: Like you t- keep talking about how much you love this movie, and like have you watched it several times? And yeah, why not? Yeah. See, I wouldn't say I loved it. I would say like I watched it. And I was like, that was fine. I like this part not so much this part Uh, that other part was kind of good
0: i think there's some great standout sections that make it worth watching and i think that there's a lot of just kind of shit that falls flat and yeah is you're just sort of waiting to get to the good stuff
1: yeah um, what are, you, what are, your, what are you the parts of this movie that you really like that draws you to it again well,
0: and again? Well, I like the again. premise. I like the setup of a homeschool kid whose game warden father has passed away uh, is headed to a writer's camp in his home state and wants to share his independently written fan... Not really fan fiction, but science fiction... With the world and his hero, who in turn promptly steals that work to pass off as his own. That's tremendous.
1: Yeah, I really like, do like, like the premise of this movie a lot. And actually, the, when it first started, it seemed like maybe the first 10, 15 minutes, I was all in. And then it starts to lose me pretty quickly. And I think that's a problem with uh, this director's movies in general that I've seen. That they have some really solid ideas or like setups or characters, but just as a cohesive whole, everything kind of gets lost, and some things go too far, other things don't go far enough, and the whole vibe is just kind of
0: meh. What this movie really required was more story and for things to kind of move along. Yeah. right like Napoleon Dynamite is just like a weird pocket world with oddball characters and you can meander your way through that because there's not really any stakes. You're just spending right. some time with some goofballs right This story there's stakes and there's characters with motivations and desires and actually in the third act once things start to like pick up, uh, there's like a real glimmer of like oh this really could have been something more like you almost had something but you sort of it it feels like a a real like one foot in one foot out where he was like i want to keep doing the same shit that i was doing before that people like but then like i'm i'm about to start growing as maybe a writer or director and i'm like not quite there
1: that's you're exactly right because Basically, what happens is, yeah, he steals the manuscript, right, to publish this work as his, sell it off as his Dr.
0: Ronald Chevalier.
1: Yeah, who's like kind of like this kind of very like uh, stereotypical, like set 1970s sci-fi writer style guy, you know. Uh, And, you know, he's doing this, he steals the manuscript very early on, but it's, but it's not until like the last 20 minutes of the movie that the main character, the protagonist becomes aware that this has happened. Yeah. You know where, so you have this conflict that the main, the main character isn't even aware of until the end. So there basically he doesn't have a story, you know, for the majority of the movie, you know, or, or the story he he has becomes inconsequential because it's not what the movie's about. You
0: know. And also, he, the main character, Benjamin Purvis, our young homeschooled writer, he also he doesn't do anything. He's such a passive character that he goes places and watches things happen, and that's just sort of what's happening for like 60% of the movie. And it's not even like he's being... Sort of like in other stories, passive characters like are having things done to them that right. kind of endear us to them in some way. He's not really having things done to him aside from like maybe like, you know, when he goes to the writer's camp and uh, that girl takes all of his money.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the beginning. You know, that's pretty early on. So we think we're going to get that. And then, yeah, everything else that really happens to him happens to him towards the end of the movie. So he doesn't really have a character arc so much as like he's just one way, you know, this of being generally passive, and then at the end, you know, he has this very quick character arc. And that's when the movie does become a lot more compelling. But it's not it's not a development, you know. There's Yeah, no... when
0: he finally blows up, that's when things get a little bit more satisfying. But at the yeah. end, yeah, it doesn't really Land too hard, like it's a very abrupt stop and not yeah, not terribly satisfying.
1: I would say, like the last note I wrote in my little notebook of watching is is somewhere in here is a movie I really like. It's just it never got past the first draft. yeah, that's you know, right. which I'm sure it did get past I'm sure there was multiple drafts, but like to me, this seems like a first draft where it's just like, okay, I got the ideas down on paper and now how do i make it all gel you know
0: this on paper this has all of the makings of like a a sort of a indie hit they're recreating the formula of napoleon dynamite this time they've got some actual budget despite the entire movie being shot on vhs which is kind of impressive by the way uh because it looks pretty good
1: is that i don't think that's true it is true the whole movie was shot on VHS. The whole
0: movie was shot on VHS. I
1: find that very difficult to believe. <laughs> like by and by difficult, I mean impossible.
0: <laughs> no, only parts of it were shot
1: on. Yeah, VHS. well, you know, this I think there's an interesting like kind of like little window in filmmaking too, because you just said like has has this potential to be like this kind of like indie like type of movie that like no one saw coming, which I guess was the director's first movie, Napoleon Dynamite, where it was like that, which. When it first came out, I thought I, you know, and so I saw it. And I was like, "Oh, I really enjoyed it." It's not like amazing or anything. There's some parts of it that I thought didn't work whatsoever, but it was like a charming little fun movie that instantly became annoying because of how much it was quoted and just like beat into the ground. Well, and that humor
0: oh. is really fresh and uh, amusing and surprising mm-hmm. the first time you see it. Half of that is the appeal, right? Is like it's all left turns. But then, if you go back and watch it again, boy. It doesn't really hold up. No, it's like it's real flat the next time, the next go around.
1: But, like, you know, this time when it came out, like mid to, you know, mid 2000s, like late teens or late aughts, whatever you call it, early teens of the 2000s. It's an interesting time because, you know, the, the people. And the filmmakers who had been coming up now, they would have grown up on a lot of those 80s and early 90s yeah. independent movies like Coen Brothers and Jim Jarmusch and, you know, all that ilk, right? So now they're attempting to duplicate that or make movies based on that in a time frame that maybe it's just not working out as much or like those things were so specific to when they were made. You know, and that and that and that era, they like trying to duplicate that is not working. Or maybe it's maybe it could work, but it's just like you're just you're copying the surface of it and not really understanding why those movies worked. Coen Brothers movies didn't just have oddball characters; they had a very like rich story behind them. You know, yeah. when you have a movie like this or his other movies like Napoleon Dynamite, where Every character is a weirdo. You kind of have to play that weirdness straightforward. You know what I mean? Like it can't it all can't be a gag. You know, it kind of has to be like kind of just there and taken for granted. Otherwise it really points out that every single character is weird. You know, and that's just not the way the world is, right?
0: Actually, I think by comparison the strength of Napoleon Dynamite was that our the focus on our characters, like the most important characters, were weird and then sort of the weirdness decreased uh, the further you got away from them. Right. In this movie the characters actually aren't weird enough and there's too many normal people.
1: Who's normal in this? I mean like I feel like all the main characters are in, in fact like super weird. Like mom is weird, son's weird, his two friends, you know, semi-friends from the writer's camp are super weird. Uh, famous sci-fi writer is naturally weird.
0: I think like, the who- ones that work are famous sci-fi writer, uh, Mom, as portrayed mm-hmm. by uh, Jennifer Coolidge. I think actually she's one of the standouts. Oh, I agree. A guardian Angel, Dusty unfortunately is one of those characters you're talking about that is just clearly like a gag. Yeah. He's all gags and no, like there's no real like meat to chew on out of the friends. Holy cow. Where do I start? And (laughs) she's trying too hard, right? She's like doing too much or not enough. I don't know what it is, but she's like, everyone else is doing kind of this like mumble core, like, Oddball bit, and she's like
1: Tabitha. Her name's
0: Tabitha. Tabitha. That's right. She has like flourishes of greatness where she's like, like a delusional, like small town starlet, kind of. But it's just like, I don't know.
1: Well, the problem is, I don't think it's so much her performance; is that she's underwritten. Yeah, when she first shows up, I thought she was really. I liked her character, and I liked her performance, and then she just kind of is just one note through the whole thing and then there's this like turn at the end where she's like, Oh, I'm not trying to take advantage of you anymore. I love you, you know. Yeah. That just comes out of the blue. But so like I think her character could be fine. It's just with the underwriting in it. But yeah, the the Dusty the Guardian Angel and Lonnie, you know, the the other guy from the writing camp you know, quote unquote friend character, are just so just like yeah you know, like weird and gaggy and quirky for working a sake and it's all just kind of yeah it's like it's it's every time they're on screen it's like the movie's pointing at them and particularly since we also go with these flashes to like the, the sci-fi novel world where we see enactments of the, the book being like brought to life you know in this kind of like semi-fantasy world I guess which is also very weird so it's like there's then there becomes no juxtaposition you just jump from one weirdo to another weirdo and it's all very like check it out it's weird like i said instead of just being like played straight and weird where it's just like and then if that was the case we'd be like oh this isn't the real world neither of these things are neither the fantasy part with the book or just when they're you know going about their business it's all just kind of this hyper reality that we're watching like in you know like peewee's big adventure or coen brothers movie or something where like. Nothing's realistic, but it's just the way it is.
0: See, I love the the vignettes of Benjamin narrating his story and then us watching it happen with, you know, Sam Rockwell as his protagonist and, you know, the weirdo supporting cast. I I think all of that is awesome. I just wish it made more sense in terms of its placement. Like, when he starts narrating and, and telling the story, I'm not sure what it's supposed to tie into
1: ultimately those things should be like kind of they should be reinforcing themes that are happening within the movie they should be mirroring the, the plot in some respects a scene from the book should advance the the overall storyline of the movie you know even though it's happening quote unquote independent of itself you know
0: overall the the two funniest performances are sam rockwell and Jermaine clement as Dr. Ronald Chevalier and I wish we would have gotten more of that character because yeah. actually he probably has the most stuff happening to him. He was a boy genius who wrote his first trilogy at 11 years old and he creates all of his own cover art for his novels and he's like a you know, world famous, world renowned author but now he's all of the sudden he's struggling and his publisher is going to drop him if he doesn't come up with something Value. famous
1: and world renowned within a very particular subset you know what i mean like which is i think it's also a, an interesting kind of idea like you're famous but you're famous only within this particular group of people or a particular world like to somebody else like someone knows who stephen king is whether or not they like horror books or have read a stephen king book they're same with like lots of musicians and actors you don't necessarily have to have consume their media to for them to be famous literally if if someone's not already not a fan of like very particular very particular genre of sci-fi nobody in the world is going to know who this guy is but he is very famous within that world you know
0: that's interesting so who would you consider like an analog to his character like what's a real world example
1: i could kind of relate this to something that just occurred to me as you are aware of i just went to a ufo convention for fun not necessarily because i am upset like a huge believer in the uh in ufos and extraterrestrials you know doing probings and stuff there they're one of the speakers was travis walton who um he's the basis for the movie fire in the sky he's like the, the logger who gets uh abducted in that movie so he he claims to have been abducted in real life been abducted by aliens and yada 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 people there like the people who were like really invested in this stuff were losing their minds with his presence right and he's just like some old man like that's so
0: weird i can't it's hard for me to picture an old man named travis
1: yeah i mean he's not that i mean he's not like super old he's like probably like late 60s early 70s I,
0: i can't picture someone named travis like over the age of 30
1: yeah. <laughs> but it's, they're
0: out there, right? It's
1: But yeah, what it's like, you know, like people were just like nuts up over this guy. Just be like, oh, like he did a, he did like a lecture and they did a Q&A and everyone who got up for the Q&A was like, it's such an honor to be in your presence, sir. Uh, you are, you know, like he was like UFO nut, like royalty, you know, but like outside of this world, nobody knows who he is. You know, you could be like talk to a, like just a regular person, be like, "Hey, have you heard of Travis Walton?" And people be, be like, "No." So maybe that would be like a like, similar analog to to this, you know, type of not in the sense that he's, uh, a, you know, a sci-fi writer, but the same level like level and type of fame and stardom, you know.
0: So you think that like uh, the, the Chevalier books would be something that you would find maybe like uh, on like the paperback rack at like a grocery store?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I mean, which kind of tracks with, like, the level of stuff he's doing. Like, he's doing doing Q&As in, like, little tiny rooms at uh, community centers. He's doing this writer's workshop for kids. Let me stop
0: you there. This writer's camp, this is a state state writer's camp, which, like, you know, we, we get that shot in the auditorium, and it's filled out pretty well. Why is it called Cletus Fest? What the hell? I've wondered this since I watched the movie originally. Why is it called... I mean, maybe I'm missing something. Like, but it's... The the writer's camp is called Cletus Fest. Does anyone know what the fuck that is in reference to? Is there a line yeah. in Dante's Inferno or something like that about...
1: I mean, it has to have Cletus? some. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like they thought it was a funny name. Like, because that seems to be like a lot of the stuff in this movie and other movies made by this guy, it's just like, oh, that sounds funny. Throw it in there. You know? Yeah.
0: A lot of the humor is like random. That And that's another reason why I like Dr. Chevalier. It's not random. It's not right. just silly for the sake of silly. It's not left turns. Like his character is absurd, but it all makes sense and fits right. together. Like when he's, you know, like, when he's doing the paintings, like, uh, with his shirt open, and he, you know, he's answering on all these different types of phones, and then, you know, he's wearing the, the like, Native American garb while he's writing, mm-hmm. you know? Like, there's lots of goofy author like a book jacket photos and stories and kind of uh like profiles that you can look to to find like things like that where their responsibility is to know a lot of things and so they research uh, a ton of different things like what it's like to be a cop or you know different cultures or science or this or that but they sometimes they can get so far up their own ass with it Oh, you sure. know, like it, you create this sort of like absurd mindset when you like know so many things.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean his character does seem like a full, real, actualized character. Yeah. In that very sense. And yeah, it's like he's weird, but it tracks for the situation, right? You're going to a sci-fi convention, writing convention, writing workshop, these people are gonna be here, etc. You know, it's when we get out of these little micro worlds in in the movie and then go out into the wider world and all of and everyone's still acting like that you know and all the new characters who come in are still acting like that that's where it starts to get kind of out of sync and i think the main character too i think even though we've talked about how he doesn't really have a character arc until the very end of the movie he's still like in the opening scenes he feels like a real character you know what i mean like even that part where he's just like eating and his mom too. Like his, like you said, Jennifer Coolidge is great. His mom's one of the best characters, you know, and he, that opening scene where he like unpacks his lunch and it's just like an unpeeled carrot, and some other random shit she shoved in a bag like that tracks for another character. That would just be a weird, quirky thing that they throw in there to to be funny, but it tracks with the personality of his mom and the spaciness of his mom, you know, of his mom, right? That that's the type of lunch she would pack for him. It's so funny she,
0: you chose that as an example because I feel like that actually doesn't track with her. Like I feel really. like she, because she makes her like her country popcorn balls and uh, she makes dresses, and so for her to make such a, like, lackluster lunch for him seems... Like, I feel like she would have made, like, maybe a bologna sandwich, but, like, put, like, a a poorly drawn, like, mustard happy face on it. Or, you know, maybe put the bread inside out or something like that. Right, but for but... her to put in just, like, these two pieces of lettuce and, like, these carrots and stuff seems...
1: But she, her focus is solely on those making those dresses and ornaments and whatnot like that is her obsession right yeah and it's like and she doesn't even wear those things like you know like other than she's so preoccupied with that that she doesn't really have a grasp on what anything else is going on even like when she's dropping them off to put to get on the bus to go to go to the thing for a couple days she's like uh, how much money should i give him like will you think three dollars will be enough and then, like the host or whatever, or the guide is like, "No, he's gonna need more like fifty or sixty bucks." And she's like, "Oh, really?" She has tunnel vision on everything that's going on in the world, except for her little fantasy and, obs- and obsession with these creating these dresses. Yeah, her so natural that's why...
0: proclivities are are way off.
1: Right. So it's it's not even that she's necessarily seen anything wrong with just being like, "Oh, here's a carrot and uh, a, a a piece of lettuce and some random other like." thing like she's like that's that's good right that's a good lunch
0: i guess they are too in in defense of that they are very poor even though they live in an awesome house yeah they live in maybe the coolest house i've ever seen some kind of geodesic dome type structure
1: yeah that house is rad that's another thing like do you when this movie started i was like oh this movie takes place in like the late 70s early 80s and then at one point someone says have you ever put your stories online and i was just like Oh, this movie takes place in modern time.
0: Electronic mail, yeah, is mentioned. Yeah, so it's at least the I'd say the late
1: nineties, yeah, two thousands. So you know, not too different from when the when the time of when this movie was made. I was like, why also make it look so much like a period piece? If it's not, you know, I, can I mean, in a...
0: some small towns, it is like the you know like a time warp, right?
1: Yes. And I think that is kind of the same going back to like a Napoleon Dynamite. I think that's kind of the same thing that's happened there, but it works a little bit better because not every, like you said, like not every single person is like that. There's the person who's obviously just wearing hand-me-downs from their, you know, older brothers or older siblings that were that are, you know, now 10 plus, you know, a shirt that's 10 plus years old and out of date. But they also are like on the internet, you see them on computers, you see them using cell phones, you know, yeah. et cetera. I mean, I don't know specifically that, but like in this one, like every phone's a rotary phone or a, a you know, a touchstone phone. Every TV is, you know, from, you know, the late seventies, every, every single thing we see gives you the appearance that it's completely a period piece versus just kind of like, a weird amalgamation of modern and, and the past. It's just an odd choice, I think. You know, to make it like so much, so visually look like it's from the 70s that I thought it was supposed to take place in that period, and then say something about like it, the internet and.
0: It's called science fiction, not science period accuracy.
1: Oh yeah, okay, you're <laughs> right. You're right. Boom, I, dude, that one just went right over my head.
0: Get off your high horse. I just hate you with a truth bomb.
1: Okay, but I'm still like, okay, we've we've have talked a lot about what's wrong with this movie. <laughs> my my favorite scene
0: <laughs> is when Jennifer Coolidge takes her dresses to Don Carlos's house to yeah. <laughs> try and sell them, and after he he explains to her that uh, they can exchange sexual intercourse for distribution. That's when Benjamin explodes. That is the last straw.
1: (laughs) That's when the movie starts getting really good. He gets into a (laughs) gunfight. Yeah. With Don Carlos.
0: And he, he does that awesome gag where he takes the the mannequin and puts his yeah. clothes on it and sticks it up to draw fire and then shoots the like the poo blow darts.
1: And he's like wearing one of the ridiculous dresses. Yeah, he's
0: swapped shirts like he could have just not worn a shirt. <laughs> yeah. And then he leaves his mom. His mom like runs away and he leaves her and drives straight to the book signing where mm-hmm. Chevalier is and calls him. That's where the, mili- the movie really picks up. Like it kicks into a gear and like it feels like we're finally moving forward. Because every other time there's a conflict, like when he's in conflict with Lonnie or any of these other characters, he just sort of gives up.
1: Which is, you know, fine if that's happening, you know, but there has to be a progression, right? There has to be things that we see happening that motivate him to try and go a little bit further or, uh, you know, resolve the issue. Whether that be like going to someone else for help which I guess he kind of does, sort of, but it's all just kind of like an unfinished idea. I think the main, I think, going back, I think the main issue is he has to be in conflict with the main writer, you know, the the Jermaine Clement's character much earlier. That book has to be, his manuscript has to be published like 20, 30 minutes earlier in the movie. He has he's so to add to the buildup to add to the tension to trying to get his stuff back before he finally cracks and goes you know ape shit on everybody including the writer that I think would like really sell this movie a lot better than the the way it is.
0: Yeah, I would have liked to have seen the two of them interacting more and having almost like a uh, like a Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman type relationship from like Rushmore. Yes, like where they're more like at odds with each other and kind of mm-hmm. playing mind games and things like that, mm-hmm,
1: yes it is, there's just no conflict between the two because Benjamin's unaware of the conflict until the very end of the movie, which is such, it's just such a bizarre choice
0: yeah the the odd the odd moment where his story has been made into a movie, and that's when he find out finds out he's been ripped off
1: it's like if imagine if you watched Cape Fear, right. And the family didn't know that Robert De Niro was stalking them until the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Right? Like, they're just going, and then it would just be them going about their daily business. Yeah, the whole
0: premise of, like, a cat and mouse game was just, like, completely wasted.
1: Right. I don't know. But, yeah, we've talked a lot of, we've talked about a lot of things wrong with it. I want to. I really want to know what makes you keep coming back to this movie for multiple viewings. Because, like I said, like I was 50-50. I thought it was a perfectly fine movie. There was some cute stuff in it, and I liked. I really liked Jermaine Clement's, you know, character and performance. Um, I actually, the main actor, the the guy who plays Benjamin, I've always liked that guy. And he kind of just disappeared. You don't see him and stuff that much anymore. But I've always liked him. I just thought he was had a lot of potential. Um, Jennifer Coolidge is really good. But that being said, like, I don't feel necessarily compelled like I'm gonna watch this movie again. You know, I could if it was still the days of flipping through channels, you know, and like stumbling upon something that was half over, I could see leaving it on. Oh, yeah, you know? definitely. I don't like I'm not like gonna be like be like, you know what movie I'm gonna start right now? Gentleman Broncos. Yeah, why do you keep coming back to it?
0: It's fun to show to people who have never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And it really is. It's the it's the Ronald Chevalier scenes that I'm in love with. It's the the Bronco Yeast Lords uh, imagination scenes that I'm into. I love, I absolutely love Sam Rockwell's delivery of his fucking stupid lines. Yeah, yeah. Of like, yeah, Daisy, you should take my gonads. Prepare, <laughs> prepare to eat the corn out of my crap. And stuff like it's just fucking great. Like it's just stupid, silly, nonsense. And also the the fact that this kid he wrote he basically wrote fan fiction about his dad who is a game warden.
1: Right. (laughs) It's great. And and fit it in space. Yeah, I mean like those those elements. That's why I said like deep down in this premise, like there is a fantastic movie that could have been made from from it. Like in these all these elements, they're all there. It just needed another pass before like the script needed another pass before they actually went into filming, I guess. Um, I think those sci-fi scenes too look really great. Like the production design and costumes and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, all uh, the Cyclops soldiers are mm-hmm. fucking cool as shit.
1: Because you know it's like one, I mean they're obviously like basing all that imagery off of the covers of those, like, 70s and 80s sci-fi books. You oh, know, yeah, that opening
0: these, title sequence, like, really, like, sets you up for... Right. For which, that, at least.
1: Which had, there was, you know, there was, you know, those, those, the books of that era do have all these incredible covers, and I've always really liked those, but there's actually not that many movies, like, sci-fi movies that embody... That and some of the ones that do were so low budget at the time of them being made that they couldn't really fully actualize. No, they're almost unwatchable. Like they're that that terrible. Yeah, I mean, like really, the only there's only a handful of bigger movies that really kind of capture that that visual style of those, you know, seventies, early eighties sci fi novels like David Lynch's Dune, uh, some of the parts of Star Wars, you know, like not not even all of Star Wars but like maybe like uh Empire strikes back and the beginning of uh the beginning parts of of uh, return of the Jedi the tattooing stuff in, in the first one that Barbarella kind of um other than that I can't there's not a, like anything that really jumps out of my mind as capturing that look you know From a serious movie anyway, you know? Yeah. There's there's been like spoofs and stuff, which this one kind of is as well. But I would would like to see more of
0: that. There is a hilarious... It's funny that you say spoof because I came upon a hilarious Reddit thread. I don't really read Reddit or anything like that. But sometimes when you Google things, uh, these Reddit threads show up in the results, you know, because they address like questions you have. This is amazing. Like, there's like a whole thread from like 12 years ago where people are just railing against this movie for not only being like unfunny and immature, but also like being genuinely insulting to science fiction. <laughs> and I fell over laughing when I read this.
1: The lack of humor that exists in uber fans of. Many a genre, not just sci-fi or horror or whatnot, but the ability to not laugh at, you know, the, uh, your ability to not laugh at yourself at times, because I love all this stuff, right? But I'm just like, yeah, some of it's goofy. Some of it's not goofy, but you can still make fun of it some from time to time, you know, right? And it's just like the humor in anything and to be so serious about anything is just...
0: Not comprehend that from an outsider's perspective, this could all be very ridiculous in a world where you know many people are just very pragmatic and fanciful things don't really like stimulate their imagination,
1: right? But I mean, even if they do, even if like it's pulled out, say you have something that has mass appeal, right? What makes it not goofy is often the execution and delivery, right? But if you just read the premise of anything. It could sound anything could sound ridiculous, you know. i did, did you see that movie, The Northman? I did not. So there's a line in that where like the Vikings are, are like some shit happens that some of their Viking buddies get cut up and like nailed to outside of a building, and one of them goes, "Do you think the Christians could have done this? Their God is their God is a corpse nailed to a tree, right? When you phrase it like that, <laughs> right?" right you know regardless of whether or not, like i'm not religious i'm i'm not a christian but like we're all brought up in society with this you with an understand in american society with an understanding of what that is and you know it's like regardless of whether or not you believe it or not you just kind of accept it as yep that's a thing but when you phrase it like that it suddenly becomes you know hilarious right you that's a zinger the,
0: why is there a zinger in that movie
1: it's so good man it's it's or there's a, there's a one on this, like, there's a similar line on The Simpsons where Lisa's, like, explained to Bart about, like, some, like, w- pagan culture and they have, like, some wild ritual they used to perform. And Bart goes, thank God we've finally come to our senses and worship a carpenter that lives 2,000 years ago. right <laughs> It's hilarious in that, concept, yeah. in that context. And the same as Star Wars. Like, oh, it's about a little boy who, who runs through space with... Uh, you know, a a washed up criminal and a bear. In that context, it's absolutely ludicrous when you you explain it that way, right? Regardless of the execution making it the believable thing, you know?
0: Yeah, and I don't think this movie in any way is making fun of sci-fi.
1: No, it's more like a sci-fi fan making fun of themselves, you know? The comedy against sci-fi is in good spirits and good humor, you know? It's well-intentioned. It's not mean-spirited. It acknowledges the silliest aspects of the genre, but like in a loving way. Yeah. Did you ever see the follow-up to this movie? I mean, the follow-up in the sense it was the movie the director made next. Not it's not a sequel or anything. But uh it also has Sam Rockwell and um Jermaine Clement, and it's called I think it's called Don Verdeen, but it's about a a biblical archaeologist archeolog- like like starts like making things up like implanting like skulls of giants, like a fabricated skull of a giant in the ground and being like, look, it's a Goliath. Did you ever see that one? No, I want to look kind of fun. I was, in, I was intrigued by that one, but I never watched it mostly because I would like, I'd seen Napoleon dynamite and Nacho Libre and I was like, I'm good. I get what this guy's doing. I'm I, I'm, I'm good on it. No. That one always, always kind of intrigued me. You know, I don't think I've ever heard of this. I'd like like to give that one a shot, maybe.
0: I mean the costumes aren't that absurd, but who knows?
1: The costumes in the other movie are, aren't as aren't as wacky, I see what no. you're saying. Okay, so any so you love showing this movie to people, all this stuff. You love the the, 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 the sci fi scenes. All right, well I guess that's a pretty good cool really like recommendation.
0: I really like Jennifer Coolidge. She's I great. really like her. That when she try when Benjamin goes to jail after assaulting Doctor Chevalier, and she tries to celebrate his birthday and tries to shove that fucking popcorn car through the bars. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that will never not be funny. That's brilliant. And then she gets to be the fucking Deus Ex Machina where she's like, "I, I. registered your all your stories with the Writers League since you were a kid or some shit, so that he See, has, like, a copyright.
1: <laughs> right, which is great. And that's another reason why I wish the conflict was earlier, because then it would be, like, this thing where you have this whole big, like, battle between th- th- those two characters over, like, who wrote the story, and it's something that she could have proven early on, but, like, she probably just didn't realize that she had the the power to do that. She's like She's like, oh, this is, will actually help you? Well, okay, you know.
0: Yeah, the public fight between them over the story should have been grander, because all we get is, like, Chevalier sees the, the TV interview where they're talking about making the movie, and right. he's like, hey, they stole my story. You got to shut this down to his publisher. And then there's a... There's like a headline in a newspaper. Right. That says something like, a kid like rips off book for homemade movie or some shit like that. But that's it. Mm -hmm. That's all we get, which is kind Mm -hmm. of... Yeah, it just needed to be pushed further.
1: Yeah. It's too bad. It's like a... Someone
0: should steal the idea for this story and then make, like, a real cool (laughs) version of it. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be pretty funny.
1: I would recast... uh, I would recast Jermaine. Jermaine.
0: It always bothered me. Because it's spelled the way, like, Kiwis and Australian people talk. And I'm like, wait, is that, like, is that supposed to be funny? Or is that real? Do you also... Did you stay for the... Post credit sequence?
1: I don't think so.
0: Yeah, if you wait long enough through the credits, there's a scene where Sam Rockwell as Bronco, the main character of Benjamin's story, is with uh Vinaya, his uh childhood friend, and yeah, as you know, she doesn't have any hair, and so he takes a vat of honey and dumps it on her head, and then cuts off his own hair and puts it on her head to give her some hair. And then I he never, licks some of the honey off her forehead.
1: I did not see that scene, so <laughs> it's
0: pretty. <laughs> it's pretty stupid,
1: but it sounds pretty stupid. I don't know. Yeah, I guess overall, I would not. I would not necessarily 100% recommend this movie, but I also wouldn't dissuade people from watching it. Uh, there's definitely enough stuff in it to make it kind of a, a pleasurable experience.
0: Well, unfortunately I, you have to really go out of your way to watch. Like it's hard as hell to watch.
1: Yeah. It wasn't free anywhere. It wasn't like, th- no, you had, at the
0: very minimum you have to uh, rent it. And it, even yeah. then it's not available in too many
1: places to rent. Yeah. Um, which I, I imagine like this is the type of movie though, that will randomly just like pop up in like, on netflix and suddenly be in the top 10 for a week for some reason you know uh you know what i mean like those movies that that sometimes do that where it's just like oh yeah this movie that came out almost 20 years ago that nobody saw i vaguely remember is in netflix's top 10 for some reason They, they you know like i feel like that that this is the type of movie that that could happen to yeah definitely
0: i mean that's not unlike our next movie which is going to be you guessed it the Rest in Peace Department, RIPD, starring Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges. <laughs> so tune in next time where we tackle
1: that hidden gem. Oh, can't wait for that one. All right. Well, do you got any, any final thoughts on this one? I think that's about all I got to say on Gentlemen Broncos.
0: That's the movie. Watch it or don't. I don't know. Watch the trailer and decide for yourself. What do you... Everybody is always leaning on us to make decisions for them. Guess what? Watch your own movies, pay your own taxes, pick out your own baby names. That's not our job. This isn't even our job. We do it for free.
1: What percentage (laughs) of people do you think are actually leaning on us for movie advice we get tons of
0: fan mail every week from people asking our opinions on every they're like what would trash heap they address us as trash they say trash heap what would you do in this situation they say trash heap am i the asshole trash heap i can't decide my baby's name trash heap what should i do with my life we're not guidance counselors we're not Please stop with all the messages.
1: I think that uh, maybe no one has watched a movie based on our recommendation. I would say that's that's fairly likely. I don't know. I think there's a couple of people out there. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just A couple I'm, of I'm nice joking. folks. There's two. Maybe it's happened like twice. You know, like someone's like, well, I guess I should give that one a shot. You know, I'll give it a it out. Just I know of
0: at least one for sure.
1: <laughs> okay, we we got a, We got a we got a certified. I guess we did trick a bunch of people into watching uh, Alien Resurrection.
0: Yeah, the fools.
1: Yeah, we saw we saw you there. You know, you came out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you watched the movie against your own will. Or no, reverse of that. You watched the movie. It was not against your will. Which it was within your will. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, I've been proven wrong once again um, on this episode of the Trash. What number is this? Like seventy-five or something?
0: Eighty-three.
1: Holy shit! Man, it seems like we just did fifty. Now we're coming up on a hundred. Yeah,
0: closing in on big one hundred episodes.
1: Wow. We're gonna have to do something not special for that.
0: Yeah. In fact, something so mundane that maybe we'll even just skip the episode entirely go straight to 101 (laughs) yep we just won't do it
1: all right well okay that about wraps it up thanks again for listening guys we'll be back next week with it two weeks from now with another episode hopefully and um yeah that wraps it up thanks again and keith what do you always say may the glistening chrome of the borg queen
0: shed her light upon us all And until next time, the dumpster
1: is closed. Thanks, everyone. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing.